True Crime 49 is an Alaskan true crime podcast, the original Gothic Veritas. Season 3, Women Hunted, traces the progression of Robert Hansen, an Alaskan serial killer known as the Butcher Baker. Listener discretion is advised. Breaking news, Horseshoe Harriet was identified as Robin Pelkey. Oh, she was 19 years old. She was 19 years old in... 1979. How do we know that? Robert Hansen was already incarcerated, and they were as they were interrogating him, they had made an agreement that they would take him by helicopter to these numerous sites if, if he would disclose the location of the body. In most cases, they did it in the winter, and he would place a evidence flag, and then they would return later without the liability of him running off into the bushes to actually exhume when, it, when the ground was, was thawed. When they he showed them where the body was for Horseshoe Harry, of course, they were always amazed that he, after years from being there, that he could place the map within, basically on the body or within 10, 15 feet of the body. Because she was a Jane Doe and he, he had no name or he, he didn't know who she was, they just gave her the nickname Horseshoe Harriet after the Horseshoe Lake. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children paid to have her body exhumed in 2014. The DNA that they were able to extract was a partial profile and it was fragmented. They were able, using it to compare it to other known missing people to, to exclude them. Yeah, and to identify them and possibly her. They were able to exclude other missing persons, but still, you know, it still remained that she was a, a Jane Doe, which they gave the name Horseshoe Harry. Took the DNA and submitted it, much as they had for many of these high-profile cases that are being solved right now, the Golden State Killer and numerous cold cases. Yeah. And they did have a filial match of a relative in Arkansas. When they were correlated it with people in the family, it was really evident very quickly that there was a young girl who essentially disappeared. He was 19 years old at the time, Robin Pelkey. And also, I mean, that really does go to to give an example of what these what these assaults and what these these victims of what it was like because she was she was a 19 year old girl, and she was unidentified. For 37 years, and nobody did a missing persons report on her. At 19 years old, you're allowed to go where you want to, and, you know. And even if they did put a missing persons, let's say if she was in Colorado or wherever she was, even if they did the missing persons in 1980, that they wouldn't be looking for a girl in Alaska. Oh, that's pretty far from home. One of the things about Robert Hansen, and maybe this is why they used the moniker Horseshoe Harriet, is because he said he had a hard time with the maps as much as he could see it from above in the sky when he was, you know, flying over. Seeing a horseshoe lake is totally evident when you're actually on the ground, you know, it's just a, you know, a bend in the lake. So maybe coming down in the helicopter, seeing the horseshoe hit lake, and then working your way, you know, I don't know, 15 miles and that's, south. Or... That's a good point, because Horseshoe Lake is accessible by road. It is very remote even today, much, you know, much less back then. But it is accessible by road. 
he also could have accessed it through playing in the winter. So we're not sure when exactly he went there. And I think you're right. Using the the lake is small, and the lake is, would be difficult to land an airplane in the lake when it's frozen. And maybe maybe not. But it's accessible by road. But the the X and her were both miles from the lake. Yeah. So the horseshoe what lake was like a location marker. Yes. But um, the thing is, is he's not really listed on record as having a plane until the eighties. And this was 1979. And yes, it was accessible by road. And he had gotten it stuck before going out there, going out in the rural Alaska at different times. It's just interesting. He just popped up on the radar as a pilot. He had to have experience beforehand. And, and for him to say he can notice it from the sky, but not as well from the maps. But if one of the things about the plane that makes it so nice is that you're able to put the person, this this very, very dangerous cargo, into the plane, and you're able to get them out to a spot. But the thing, but you can't really travel to and fro a bunch. Either you're going to go out there and stay out there, and then people like, numerous people, yes, I saw this type of a plane at that location for days on end. You might even attract the game wardens to come down and see what it is right. you're doing. But it, the idea with the plane is that the plane can get out there and drop the person off and basically have zero exposure time. No one's going to pull you over while you got the body in the plane or the live girl in the plane. But if you were then to use the plane for that benefit and get her out there, right, and you're leaving her a place that even if there's a blizzard... You can drive your truck there. So you could actually deliver the body, deliver the living girl, and, and then, and then she, she, you know, he kills her. And then actually leaves in the plane. He could then set up and drive the truck out there. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that, we, that we've been discussing too is that when Ted, they, when they went to Ted Bundy and, you know, kind of placated him and, can you maybe tell us about, we're plagued by the Green River Killer. Can you maybe tell us something? One of the first things that he said was, you know, he's spending time with the bodies. He's tr- he wants to go back. He will be obsessed with going back and spending time with the bodies. Yeah. Can we make the fair assumption that rubber hands would be the same way? That if the obsession is, if the obsession is so strong... That the impulse makes him do these things, that he's not going to just and walk away from this thing. He wants to. He yeah wants to revisit, to revisit, and, and spend and, time. And that goes to show too with um, the wounds that a lot of his victims had. They had no bullet holes or no knife wounds on their clothes, but definitely on their body. He had redressed them, like they were naked when they were killed maybe other stuff we don't know and then redressed one of the things that was always interesting to me about horseshoe harriet or actually robin pelkey is that she had four knife wounds and four gunshots to me that's overkill and that's not normally if he's like hunting them or if he's it's a you know, they're escaping and he has to shoot them before they escape or before somebody notices. That's like a, a one shot, you know, one stab. But Robin had four 
knife wounds and four gunshots. So there's something very specific about her and that she was, um, I don't know, there was, there was no history, like, with the Green River Hip Killer, he targeted prostitutes, and definitely towards the end, Robert Hansen targeted prostitutes. In the beginning, it was kind of good girls that he was trying to, um, trying to figure out his plan, but whatever it was with Robin, um, there was definitely more violence exhibited than you normally see. Well, one one thing that comes to mind is that there was the serial killers in Canada, the one who the guy who owned the pig farm, and you know on the pig farm they found tons of shards of bone. In all of the the trove of evidence that they found, one of the things was a pistol that had a dildo, a jelly type of a dildo, placed over the pistol like a silencer, and that it had been fired through. So by its nature, the firing of the gun, the threat of the firing of the gun begins to be, in this case, begins to become part of something more than just pointing and shooting them for the sake of killing them. The actual fear of pulling the gun, trigger of the gun has been implemented into the sexual assault. With, with Robert Hansen and Horseshoe Harriet, or Robin Pelkey, but in a different way, the gun and the knife can be then implemented into, into the sexual assault, or the, the sexual element. It becomes part of the sexual element. In the case of the, of the pig farmer, it was to gather as much terror out of these women who have been, who basically are destroyed, broken and destroyed already, to, eat, to get some, something more out of them took it to that level with whoever handsome actually that the girl was actually already dead and that by not only of course revisiting the body daydreaming and fantasizing but at some point maybe crossing his mind that recreating and restaging the original assault and so the second and third and fourth stab wounds and second and third and fourth bullet wounds might actually be chronologically him rebuilding the setup, maybe even changing her clothes, moving her stuff around so that it appears that she's actually not dead again. And he's actually reliving the stab and reliving the shoot four times. Yeah. So there's a good possibility that he was using it to try to reinvigor and restart and get a refresh, a flash of the assault. Because he didn't want to walk away from it. He wanted to gather it as much as he could possibly. Yeah, it's just really interesting because by that time he was already a big game hunter. He already knew what organs to hit if you were going to shoot, shoot to kill, you know. He would know what organs to stab or whatever, penetrate with your knife if you were going to just kill them. It should have been, you know. If you're a hunter, it's one shot, one kill. Hopefully, that's what you're looking for. So for him to do it over and over again, and some of it could have been post-mortem, I kind of figure that if she was 19 and come from Colorado or Arkansas, from the lower 48, 19 in Alaska, she probably had a little bit of moxie to her. 
and a bit of a fight. And I don't know if I want to say it here, but we just recently was re were reading about somebody who they emptied the clip on the guy and he never fell. You know, so maybe, but like I said, big hunting, you should be able to know or to shoot somebody and it not be, not have to, do, you know, in hunting, the more bullets you put into something, the less meat you're going to eat, you know, and I'm not saying that about Robin, but I'm just saying. You're definitely correct in that at some point you could say he was, he could almost be considered like a surgeon with with his, you know, firearm by then. And you're right, he would know if he wanted to, if he wanted to end the life as quickly as possible to take away any form of danger, which he often, that's what he would often use as an excuse. I had the gun there. They went crazy, or as he calls it, they, they call, he calls it, they would panic on me. And then he would use that as a justification to shoot them. But no, you bring up a number of interesting points. One would be also, going starting from the back forward, one would be that when you look at the picture of this girl after all of this time, we never knew how old she was. We never knew We never knew what race she was. Or Not that that's really important. but The color of her hair. Now that after you see her, it, that brings up another, another part of it, is that you're seeing these photos that maybe someone pulled out of an old album, but this photo was when she, before she would have, so she it might not have been the same person mm -hmm. in the picture because she might have been younger at a different phase in her life or a different phase in her life. Yeah. When you see her, she does not exhibit a street girl. No. A healthy... Midwestern, Western girl looks kind of rooting and tooting, kind of, you know, maybe even help change the tire to get a flat type of a girl. The kind of 19-year-old girl that would buckle up and go to Alaska in, you know, 1980. So you see the, the type of girl that would, that would go up there and put herself into the mix it's, it's, it's kind of horrible because that's the type of, you know, it's that she would have to endure. She's maybe a fighter. She's got a fighting spirit. She's got some grit in her. And maybe that lends to why she has so many wounds on her. Yeah. He goes on and he tells us all about a Clutin Annie, who is also unidentified at this point, uh, another Jane Doe. But he tells us about her struggle and he tells us about Joanna Messina, you know, and Barbara Fields kind of as because it's okay they're like street walkers or they were destitute they were prime for the picking they kind of deserved it and he tells us the whole story but he identifies where horseshoe harriet's body is but does not tell the story and he misled them on what, what order she would have been in he even said oh i think maybe she was from kodiak which clearly she doesn't look Alaska native at all. I'm sure her, her jargon and maybe her diction would have not been Alaskan. Even if money had been brought into the equation when they met each other in the truck or, or out the, wherever they met each other, even if money or any type of hint of prostitution would have been there, even if there was that there, it, it seems like is he's trying to maintain being sane. And is your keys 
Israel Keys says that one of the things that he regards most of the different circles, he regards the ones highly that could live the two lives and hold one, the both lives together. As Robert Hansen is trying to maintain his regular life, as he's having suspicions about himself, as he's losing control, he, it seems that he latches on to certain things, even though it's absurd. Yes, even if there were two women over the span of 20 years that, yes, you, you had an accident, she panicked. But to rack up, let's say, 17 marks on the map, and he still, he in his mind, as he's trying to to hold on to these, like these lifelines of this is how I exist and hold up the facade. He can't see the absurdity that, yes, that line might have worked if it had been one or two, maybe one every 10 years this happened twice to you over 20 years. But once you've racked up 10 of these, 11 of these, 17 of these, that line isn't going to work anymore. But he's, and it seems that with her, that's what kind of he's doing. When if it was a regular girl, his rules were, it appears his rules were, if it was a regular girl, that's going to attract the whole village is going to come after you with pitchforks because this wasn't a prostitute. He, even at the last, when everyone knows that he's a sadistic rapist control killer, he still holds to that same thing. And I, believe, I tend to believe that that's why he tried to send misinformation on the date, throw them off on who she could have been, because he didn't want any of the ones following him that were possibly a good girl, a regular girl. When he burned down the bus barn, he said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Enough where his whole, his father made the partition and, and everything went down and he still said, I didn't do it up until the point where he was in prison and he realized until he said he did it, he wasn't gonna get out when it was advantageous. And then he was out for like six months after that or something. It was just similar to like the like the Golden State Killer. Most recently, he's playing a facade in the courtroom, and you see that it's an absolute lie that he in the you know in his cell he he has mobility he he can move around he's acting like a regular person. And it's that same move that Robert Hansen did. Yeah, and even though the Golden State Killer was elderly, he's still doing the same stuff that you see. Robert Hansen do and Israel Keys and various other serial killers. But for Horseshoe Harriet, I definitely feel like um, I'm glad that she was identified. Robin Pelkey, I feel bad. I would like to know there's nobody who will be able to tell us the story of why did she have four knife wounds? Why did she have four gunshots? Why did he say that she was from Kodiak? And she's clearly, she has beautiful red hair and, you know, maybe she had a diet at the time, but she doesn't look Alaska native, you know. And um, why didn't he ever say anything? You know, he told us basically from the point of including Annie being regular to the point that she died, you know, and he never says anything about Robin. Well, one thing I think is, on the same way that that John Douglas, when on this particular case, when he on this particular case, when they 
brought him the information, he said, well, I, I, he only wanted, he said, I don't want you to tell me certain things about, I want you to, basically, he wanted to experience the evidence of the crime and, and the victimology and he, in order to, so he could put together, come in clean. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing nice about the way that this information is folding out after 37 years. By still having these unknowns, uh, these wounds, the state that he left her, the way that he regarded her with the law enforcement, the, the way that the information is coming to us in these isolated you know, blobs, it, it does allow us to, it gives us a lot of room to analyze and try to look at it and correlate it with other circulars that act similar ways that if they have these tendencies, then it's most likely that these tendencies will show the same pattern again in this guy. It gives us hours and hours and hours of conjecture and dissecting it and you know, analyzing it. So it gives us it gives us tons of, of stuff and it allows us to have these really pure, you know, investigations trying to rebuild. Right. And it would be interesting to find out more about Robin and her upbringing, like with <clears throat> Megan Emmerich to know that she was from Delta Junction. And that was like a big thing because you kind of know what her attitude was when she, you know, to grow up in Delta Junction, which is a total rural Alaska place, you, it kind of lends a little bit to her personality to know that Joanna Messina was a trained nurse from New York. Really, you when you look at her picture, you can see that a little bit. And to know that Robin Pelkey was born in Colorado and her family's from Arkansas. You can see that in her picture and it starts to build a little bit more of what it might have been like for her. You know, when you start talking about the personalities that you can at least kind of get out of the photos and get off the little pieces that you have for what people said about them. When you start to look at these different personalities, you know, there might be something, information that you could, get, you know, get from that as well. It does look like on, on two sides, it does look like he was taking all different types of, all different types of girls. But when you look at the pictures, it does seem that you can kind of start to break them into at least like three different chunks. With the first one, Joanna Messina and Lisa Vitrell. <laughs> Joanna Messina and Lisa Futrell, when you look at them, they appear almost the same type of a lady. They have a more of a glam look to them. They have more of a, maybe like almost like a, more of a Charlie's Angels professional model type of, of, of like confidence and presentation in their face. And you also see a whole group of these girls that are, look really like almost Appalachian country girl. Like farm girl, Midwest yeah. girl, not the glam, more of the the Midwestern yeah. country girl, country bumpkin. There and it seems that it seems that when you know, and then there's also, but so it looks like it, it tells us a little bit maybe about his state with victimology. It does look like, and again, these are happening in different ways. Yeah, but there was a couple of victims too that were African American or black, yeah. you know, black prostitutes or dancers. But, I mean, I would say that, too, is he was born in Iowa, you know, and he spent the majority of his life there, 
you know, he spent a little bit of time in California, but most of his childhood was in Iowa. So that would lend to some of that. Plus it's Alaska. So when you're all bundled up and you're standing on the side of the road, you know, it's only going to be, <laughs> they said like between five foot and five, four, like mostly, you know, busty. And you could tell, definitely sell, see when someone's wearing a winter coat, whether they're, they're busty or not. For me personally, I feel like in Alaska, the law enforcement culture is kind of detrimental to everyday citizens. However, as a whole, they're pretty progressive as far as they just opened a missing and murdered indigenous women's office. The FBI did. They've been working on cold cases and they have the Alaska State Troopers going forward on identifying Jane Doe, Horseshoe Harriet as Robin Pelkey. You know, things that I'd like to see in the future are um, a Klutna Annie is still unidentified. Roxanne Eastland, who's going to be in our next episode, we don't know where her body is. There are several X's on the map that belong to women that he never showed the state troopers where those bodies were at. And they, you know, they're out there. And so they're, of the 17 women he confessed to, he said up to 34. And I think there are 21 X's on the map and several of them have yet to be found. So it would be nice to identify who Klutna Annie is, find Roxanne Eastland's body, and however many other exes are on the map. And I think that's something that Alaska law enforcement can do. And I'm grateful to the Alaska State Troopers for keeping up with it and finding um, Robin Pelkey, even if her family is gone or you know they don't have closure, we do. So I'm grateful to know who Horseshoe Harriet is Robin Pelkey. And she, from the picture that they have of her, that they've shown, um, it's sad that she's gone, but it looked like she was a really nice person. The interesting things that I think it brings up that I will, con you know, I know personally, I will continually ro keep rolling them over in my mind is that it shows how young she was. It shows that he is trying to distance himself from those those particular crimes. He's trying to distance himself from it. What does that say? What does that tie to inside of him? What does it do for him? Or what does he perceive? He perceives that it's doing something for him. The wounds that he inflicted on her. This type of victim, what she represents to him the state that he was in the segment of his life, what she represented to him, why he treated her the way he treated her instead of treating her like he treated Barbara and taking her to the Sunrise Inn. All of the things that we were learning from looking at who this girl was, now all of a sudden gives us more terrain that we can try to, we get to see more terrain. We get to see flashes of terrain in the dark. Thank you for listening to True Crime 49. You can find us online and on most social media platforms at TC49 Podcast. Support the show by sharing the podcast and rating. You can also visit our Patreon for bonus podcasts like Inches and Mercury, which includes a Robert Hansen episode. And visit our website for merchandise.
True Crime 49 is an Alaskan true crime podcast, the original Gothic Veritas.